I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Finding diverse groups of qualified participants for clinical studies can slow the development of needed medicines. The difficulty in attracting racial and ethnic minorities, women, and the elderly also creates concerns that trial results will fail to reflect what would happen in the real world. Some 80% of clinical trials fail to meet enrollment deadlines, and an average of 30% of participants drop out in part because of the location and duration of these studies. CVS Health in 2021 launched CVS Clinical Trial Services, which capitalizes on CVS's rich database of patients and its large footprint that puts a CVS location within 10 miles of 85% of the U.S. population. We spoke to Owen Garrick, Chief Medical Officer of Clinical Trial Services at CVS Health, about the company's push into clinical trials, the need to expand the diversity of participants in these studies, and how CVS is leveraging its resources to increase access to and participation in clinical trials. Owen, thanks for joining us. Danny, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about the decentralization of clinical trials, the move of retail pharmacies into clinical trials, and the potential this has to expand diversity of participants in these studies. Let's start with CVS Health and its decision to do this. This in part came about because of the COVID pandemic. Can you explain? Sure. That That's absolutely right, Danny. As, as we all know, uh, the pandemic started, there was a global effort to develop vaccines, and CVS got involved with recruiting for the vaccine studies here in the U.S. and was pretty successful and, in fact, helped recruit a very diverse cohort of individuals to participate. And that got the management team and board thinking about what role should we have and could we have as an organization more broadly in clinical uh, research. As you think about the case for CVS moving into the clinical trial space, give me a sense of the footprint, the proximity to potential participants, and the resources CVS Health can bring to bear to deliver clinical trial services. Sure. The mission, very broadly, is to make clinical trials part of a patient's and consumers' everyday experience. So demystifying it, you talked about decentralization. So if you look at CVS as an organization, we have roughly 10,000, slightly under 10,000 retail locations, have, and 1,200 of those have minute clinics. So CVS, uh, minute clinics are part of uh, CVS, and we are converting 
those minute clinic locations across the country to research sites. So currently we have about 80 uh, and that number will grow through this year and next year. And that's where you can actually conduct uh, where patients can come in and participate in trials. We set about deciding on where uh, those would be located in a very deliberate fashion. And the two biggest components of that um, that analysis was or were the ethnic diversity of those locations as well as the economic diversity. So we looked at the entire uh, fleet or footprint of 1,200 locations and based on the uh, diversity, both economic and uh, racial and ethnic, we looked at our first cohort of, as I mentioned, 80 locations. So if you think about areas such as uh, Atlanta, Dallas and Houston, D.C., Philadelphia, Central New Jersey, very diverse neighborhoods. And that um, allows for uh, an underrepresented or historically underrepresented group, i.e. diverse participants, to participate because our locations are uh, conveniently located within the communities and within their communities. Prior to joining CVS Health, you were president and CEO of Bridge Clinical Research, a boutique CRO that specialized in diversity research. Why did you decide to join CVS Health in its move into clinical trials? What did, what did you see as the opportunity? As I thought about making a transition, uh, the work I did at Bridge uh, was really and truly focused on improving health outcomes for diverse communities through research. And I saw CVS as an opportunity to scale uh, that lifelong passion of mine and getting involved at the ground floor with um, clinical trial services within CVS, you know, I could, uh, with the team, build equity into everything that we do. So if we think about uh, the site footprint, as I've mentioned, if we um, think through uh, the staff that we're um, recruiting to participate, which will be diverse and will reflect the community, um, that was just really and, and truly com compelling. We've made a commitment to and a goal of recruiting 30,000 diverse individuals uh, within a five-year period. And an organization like CVS has that national footprint uh, and national scale to make, uh, to make that happen. So it was, it was truly an offer and an opportunity that I could not uh, refuse. What's the need? Why does expanding the diversity of clinical trials matter? And how good or bad a job have trial sponsors been doing? Sure. So from a medical or biologic perspective, you have you see differential response to the same drug therapy um, within ethnic groups or among ethnic groups. Now, part of that is so what that means, you give someone um, of a different of different ethnicities um, a, a particular drug and they will respond um, differently. So some will have uh, an optimal response and some will have a suboptimal response. And part of that is biologic or genetic, and the other part is environmental. From a biologic perspective, there just might be things like, um, uh, you know, how, how drugs are, are metabolized. From an environmental perspective, uh, there might be issues such as, you know, if you have diabetes or oncology or, or cancer, rather, that you are diagnosed much later. So you have um, uh, later or more severe disease. So that combination, um, you know, from a patient's perspective, 
you want to make sure that all patients are involved in your clinical trials so you know that the drug works or you you, you drug works effectively in all populations. And if it doesn't work effectively in all populations, you know that and you can adjust dosing, you can adjust timing, and you can also, if it's a biologic, identify which markers um, or receptors are involved and target those more effectively for different populations. So that's the scientific or medical rationale is really about ensuring that the drugs that we're developing, and not just drugs, but the therapies, the devices, uh, the diagnostics um, impact uh, all populations effectively. There are a number of reasons that are often cited for why there isn't greater participation in clinical trials from traditionally underrepresented communities. As someone who's long worked in trying to address this problem, what's your perspective? What have you heard from participants? And perhaps more telling, what have you heard from people who don't participate? Yeah, I think that's a wonderful question. And this has been well studied, well characterized. So my sense is we have a good sense of the issues. And there are really three. The first is awareness. So are you aware of what a clinical trial is? And, you know, the, the, the good thing, if there was a good thing from COVID and the development of the vaccines is awareness around clinical trials has increased dramatically. But what has what we still fall short is from a, from a patient's perspective, understanding and being aware what a clinical trial means for me, you know, as an individual um, or as a community. So continuing with the, the, the work around um, awareness. Uh, the second thing is access. So do I have if I'm aware that a study is happening in my neighborhood or in my community? Do I have the ability to participate? Is is the location accessible? Um, do I relate uh, to the people? Are they welcoming? Um, so, as I mentioned, that awareness, that second part is access. Um, and as I talked about earlier, the site footprint that is conveniently located in uh, in the community, I think, affords improved access. You know, these uh, we're not huge academic medical centers where you can get lost and, and have trouble navigating. And then the third component is trust. And you can look at it both, you know, two ways. One, from from a patient perspective, we spend a lot of time thinking uh, about this, is do patients trust their uh, the research enterprise and the healthcare um, community? Uh, the other the the other side of that coin is is the research enterprise trustworthy? Right. Have we earned um, the trust of patients and the community? So those are the three things that uh, we we see. And I, as I mentioned, are well characterized in terms of the challenges. If we think about the trust, one of the things we're doing uh, at CVS and clinical trial services is not just being you know, having this uh, commitment to the community. So our engagement isn't transactional, uh, but we are really focused on. Uh, having a long-term relationship, having the staff in the research um, department that reflects and looks like the community, that are part of the community. So that um, helps us with uh, the trust barriers. What are some of the things CVS is doing to draw in diverse populations for clinical studies? Yeah, so I think there are two big components. One, as I mentioned, the, the diverse staff, and we're also reaching out to and, and I'll pause it. The importance of that is, as we think through 
what are important research questions. If you have staff and researchers that are connected to the community, they have a sense of what are the important issues that uh, and true problems and challenges that the community is facing and can develop based on that uh, research questions and analyses that uh, would resonate uh, for the community and, and help solve real problems. That's the first part. The second part is while CVS is a trusted entity, not everyone is a CVS customer. Um, and so we are engaging with what we call a diversity partner network. Um, and these could be healthcare entities. They could be uh, entities focused on housing, on financial literacy that are trusted members of the communities um, uh, that we where we have research sites. So we engage with them, uh, inform them, uh, getting back to that um, awareness issue about what we're doing around research and why, invite them to participate in um, our research and also inform, as I mentioned, the research that would be of interest to the community. CVS fills a lot of prescriptions. I suspect that gives you fairly good insight into patients who might be appropriate for a specific clinical trial. Do you leverage that data in any way for recruitment? We, we certainly do. And we do it in a, uh, in a not just HIPAA and regulatory compliant way, but we also think about maintaining the trust um, that we've built with our patients. So they um, are you know, clearly interested, you know, they, they participate, they come to us um, in terms of pharmacy needs, uh, they trust that we're going to do the right thing with uh, their information. So we have an entire um, suite and process of, of make, ensuring that. Um, and so, yes, we certainly do. And, and it's not just uh, the actual data, uh, but it's what we, we're able to do with the data in terms of analytics to uh, not just identify who might be a type 2 diabetes patient, um, but also, if we look at the inclusion and exclusion criteria uh, within a study, who might actually actually qualify uh, for a particular study? So we have an entire uh, enterprise analytics team that supports us with creating uh, algorithms to identify individuals for a study. So you could, if we think about lupus as an example, um, or steroids, I'll, I'll, uh, as an example, someone on steroids could could be using it for different reasons. Um, joint issues, they could be a lupus patient, um, but you know there might be four or five other reasons why someone is on uh, a steroid. We would look at the patient's overall data set to see um, and create an algorithm to identify if they're in fact uh, a lupus patient who, ha- who might, you know, who happens to be on a steroid versus um, uh, someone else who uh, might not qualify for a lupus study. What is CVS Health's capabilities? What's the range of services it can do from a clinical trial perspective? Sure. So we, within, from a recruitment perspective, we have the ability to identify patients for pretty much every therapeutic area. Um, From the perspective of conducting a trial, uh, we have within the minute clinic locations, we can do, we do phlebotomy, we do EKGs, we do uh, spirometry. So most chronic conditions, cardiovascular um, uh, conditions, respiratory conditions, 
We have um, neurology studies in migraine and Alzheimer's. So fairly broad. If you come into um, our location, um, one, you can you our staff is 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 clinically capable of providing those services. And we also have a home research uh, group that can also do infusions within the home. So the ability to do large molecules such as cancer therapies or targeted therapies, we can actually also do in the home. So it's not just um, the capability of doing a particular service or um, providing a particular uh, clinical, uh, providing a particular clinical care, but it's the actual, you know, also where. So, and we want to do that in a convenient way for the patient. You, you mentioned you can also do it home. How are you leveraging technology to bring the trial to the patient beyond using your footprint? Are you using technology so people can participate at home? Most certainly. So that's the, the third leg of the stool. So not only can we um, have a nurse um, visit you in your in the home, but we can and we we have a partnership with um, uh, uh, a company called Medible, which where we can, um, through their technology, leverage and tap into things such as wearables, um, device, uh, devices such as home-based um, uh, temperature checks, blood pressure checks, weight um, uh, scales, et cetera, and have that uh, in a uh, research and HIPAA-compliant way and secure way become part of the medical record um, and, and the research record. Um, so absolutely. So from from a tech perspective, and that could, as I mentioned, you know, wearables in the home, it would also and could also include uh, video visits, just like you you can go in and visit a, a clinician um, for a non-research service um, via video. And you can also do the same uh, in a research setting. One of the critical challenges with having multiple clinical trial sites can be consistency in data and the way things are measured and recorded. How much specialized training, if any, is needed for staff to conduct a study and, and how is that handled? Sure. The, the the two biggest components that you want to ensure in research are one, patient safety, uh, and then two, data quality and integrity. And the beauty of what we offer is that our um, there's one set of systems across our entire platform. So our quality management system supports um, the regulatory uh, work that we do, the data integrity work that we ensure, the patient safety work, um, both at the site level, and then we have an entire quality team that supports um, uh, the work across the national footprint, not just in the trial delivery network, but also in the work we do in terms of identifying and recruiting patients. And we didn't speak a lot about this, but the, the third component of what we offer is real-world evidence, um, which is mainly uh, um, retrospective data analysis, but is um, also um, growing to include um, prospective analyses um, involving uh, data in a real-world setting. So the the training is is robust, and it's not just um, our suite of uh GCP or good clinical practice training and our SOPs, but our regular um, quality improvement uh, and process improvement work. You mentioned the growing interest in real world evidence. Are you doing this within 
post-market studies or across the board? Great. So thus far, it is has been mainly post-marketing studies. But one of the things we're doing is developing uh, an internal uh, research agenda. So what are some of the key issues that we're interested in evaluating? Um, so we have recruited 20, or last year we recruited 20,000 uh, individuals to participate in studies. We reached out to 20, 25 million individuals. So that gets to that awareness component, right? So, um, and so if you if we've reached out I don't know if anyone's ever done that, reached out to 25 million people, right? So internally, we want to think through um, what were some of the most effective channels? Um, what was the response to us as a, a retail uh, enterprise reaching out? What was, the, what was the willingness to participate based on that, um, that communication? Did we increase awareness about clinical trials? So to answer to your, the answer to your question is yes, and even more. How about consent? Do you actually do the consent with patients, or is that done yeah. elsewhere? Yeah, we do. We we consent uh, the patients to participate in um, all the research uh, settings, um, whether that be in the home. They can do that leveraging technology via e-consent. And they can also come into uh, the research site and engage with our nurse practitioners and PAs. Um, and oftentimes patients, you know, take the consent home, talk to their families about it. We're available to ask questions or to answer questions that they might have. But yes, we we conduct um, uh, IRB approved consents um, as as a part as a regular part of our uh, work and research. As you think about what. CVS has embarked on here. What do you think the potential is to change the way clinical trials are conducted and who participates in them? I think it, there's a huge impact. And the impact is you, at, the, at the top of the, the show, you talked about decentralization, right? So moving research from the large academic medical centers into the community uh, affords this notion of a much more representative group of research participants. And if they're more representative of, of the, the individuals that actually have a particular condition, we have much more broadly a sense that uh, these drugs and therapies um, work um, effectively. And we can also begin to do some subset analyses to see if there are particular patients where the drug actually works better or, or uh, might be suboptimized, and how do we then from there do follow-on research to um, either enhance that optimization or bring up those individuals that were suboptimized on therapy? Owen Garrick, Chief Medical Officer of Clinical Trial Services at CVS Health. Owen, thanks so much for your time. Danny, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.